Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Hi. And Jenna Ipkar. Wow, that's the spirit of the season if I ever heard it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we, um, this is kind of a part two to episode 48, which uh, we had a lovely fan by the name of Thomas that we answered one of the questions of, and we're going to answer a second question now. They're both really good questions. We wanted to give them enough time each. And here is the voicemail. Hey, my name's Thomas. I'm a huge fan of the show and your guys' uh, like written work. Uh, I, I think no one else talks about movies like you guys do. Um, I had two questions for the show. Uh, I'll keep them short and sweet. Uh, first, what are some movies that you guys think will be reevaluated from the last several years or older if you want to get uh, esoteric or something? Um, I know Cody just wants to talking about Hercules, which I have yet to watch, and I feel terrible about it. And uh, John's mentioned both Battleship and Eyes Wide Shut on the show, if I'm remembering right. Uh, what are some other ones that you guys think deserve a second chance? Um, second question, what's your opinion on, like, snuff elements in film? I know you've mentioned Joe D'Amato's works, which are just, like, fucking off the wall, and also Cannibal Holocaust a few times, which I refuse to watch on principle. Um, where do you think the boundary is between like body horror and straight up exploitation? Does Videodrome and other films like that count among that, or are they like just under the line? Uh, thanks so much for putting on the show, guys, and I hope to hear much more of it in the future. Bye. All right. So yeah, if you want to hear us talking about reevaluating movies, go back to forty-eight. Today we're going to be talking about snuff elements and violence and and mayhem in that regard. You know, that's kind of a spirit of the season topic, I'd say, being it's October and being horror tends to have violent things occurring. Well, I don't know if tends to, but sometimes does, right? Not Monster Mash. Not Monster Mash, not Mad Monster Party. Nah, that's just a, that's a party. You know what I found out, by the way? Mad Monster Party, because I was looking it up because I wanted to, uh, like, watch it or whatever, and it's on... A Blu-ray DVD combo for like five dollars. What's the other one? No, uh, Blu-ray and DVD together. Oh, I thought pack. it was like it with another movie. No, just it. Five. I would like, like to see bucks. it with like like the darkest fucking like scariest. I'd like to see like Mad Monster Party paired with Wreck or something, mm. or like um, or on one of those four packs where it's like Quarantine, Wreck, yeah. Mad Monster Party, and like Wolf Creek. Yeah, or like Lethal Weapon 1 through 3 and then Mad Monster Party. <laughs> there are always those ones where they can't figure out what to do for the fourth one. Like there's yeah. a, I think it's like a Friday and Friday, next Friday and Friday after next. And then they have just all about the Benjamins, which is yeah. just some random Mike Epps movie. Or um, isn't it House Party 1, 2, and 3 and then Money Talks? Or no, it's yeah. Rush Hour 1, 2, yeah, and 3 and Money Talks. That's right, yeah, yeah. But there's a House Party 1, 2, where it's... It should be Mad Monster Party on House Party. It should. It should be House Party 1 through 3 and then Mad Monster Party, that's which was a, the ultimate House Party. Even though it came first, it's more of a spiritual sequel than the actual House Party 4, which is yeah. completely... It was like a reboot that nobody ever like classified as a re- reboot because it was before the whole reboot thing. Because it was it was all like young kids that I guess they thought were going to become famous and become like the new uh, kid and play. Yeah, how did I blank on kid and play? They've been a part. I of don't my know. Life, they should remake Mad Monster Party with kid and play. I'm oh, realizing, man, that. that would be good. Bunch of monsters and just kid and play in the middle. You know, 
doing it. I'm a living fan. It. Living the party. You ever see Class Act? Kidding yes. Boy? That is a good movie. That's one of those um, two in the afternoon, 1998 Comedy Central movies. I love those bizarre high school movies where yeah. they like really like depict high school. Like, I don't want to say very well, but very meticulously. It's like they go to like every fucking class, like go to math class and science <laughs> class, etc. You You know what the you learn what the lunchrooms like. You learn what the halls are like. They like really entrench you in it. And it's just some like movie you're going to watch on TV, like on an afternoon. But they're always so fucking met- meticulous, you know? That's beautiful. You should yeah. do a, uh, a video essay about them. I think I should. All right. So bringing it back to snuff elements and film. What's the line with violence? Uh, I guess we can start with torture porn. You know, remember that term? Well, he started with body horror. That's true. All right. Let's which, start with body horror. But he didn't horror. name drop Videodrome. Which, which is body horror. Which and, you saw recently. Porn. You saw recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. There's the torture porn movie within the movie in Videodrome. Yeah. Right. Videodrome. But like, video, yeah, Videodrome of Videodrome. But our Videodrome is just like body horror, which yeah. is interesting to me that that's what he went to because it's, I think, like very much the opposite of torture porn, which is kind of, I don't love Videodrome, but like one of the cooler things about it is the contrast between the two styles of violence in it. You know, like... The, the surrealism of stuff like The Fly or um, Videodrome feels very removed from, like, hostile. Yeah, I mean, know? polar ends of the graphic spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I thought actually Peeping Tom kind of does Videodrome before Videodrome does Videodrome. Yeah, it also does Psycho right after Psycho did Psycho. I love Peeping Tom. <laughs> Peeping Tom is a great movie, but that's an, I think that the point of that fi- movie too is that idea that you can't, he can't exist without having filmed it. You know, yeah. it's like he has to exist through filming it. He sort of lives outside of himself watching himself, you know, which yeah. is something that we all now, especially with phones, computers being such a one twenty four seven part of our lives now, you know, like everyone's fears of television got like doubled down like 500 times worse. Yeah. But that was, that was sixties, right? It was 1960, yeah. even. Which I was going to say, um, there's that Rip Torn one coming apart. Yeah, which was 69. Yeah, yeah. The, the mid to late 60s got well into that. I mean, you it really started with David Holzman's diary in 67 and um, Yoko Ono's rape, which was like, I want to say 67 to 68-ish, but it might be off. Yeah, Peeping Tom was really ahead of the curve with that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. uh, the first one chronologically I can think of that's like about somebody who's obsessed with the idea of being filmed. Yeah, and just existing through yeah, it, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. And it's also creepy. I mean, that's an, uh, definitely a, a movie I would recommend, but I, f- I feel like it, it doesn't ever... Uh, I don't feel like it goes... I don't think it exploits, rather, to to address Thomas's point I don't, more than, you know, most sort of murder movies do. You know, I mean, it's always this sort of view... I mean, I guess it, that you really have to... It, it forces you to watch as you, the sort of viewer, are murdering women... But not any more than a, a horror movie that shows you a woman being murdered does. Well, I mean, you you have two ways of filming a close-up of a murder, I feel like. You can film the person's face, or you could film the stabby-stab. <laughs> and Peeping Tom, like, even the reflection at the end, the big reveal, right. it's all about the face. Right. It's not about the, the um, anatomical... Stab. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, like the the snuff element, I think, always comes with this fascination of like seeing how like a body comes apart. And Peeping Tom never gives you any of that. Right. Peeping Tom shows you how like 
But do you wonder... The I, human spirit comes apart. Is it just because of the time, perhaps? Had it, I think if someone remade it now, I think it would be much more brutal. Even though watching it well, as if, something that came out in 1960, it's really brutal. I mean, if if someone remade it, I think is is hard to classify. I get what you're saying, though. But I mean, Psycho was the same year, and it was sort of pushing boundaries in the sense that Psycho, you have that famous three frames of the knife going into her. Right. And that's like the first time ever that you ever had somebody like visually being stabbed in a movie. So they were like right at the door at that time. And um, it was Powell and Pressburger who did um, Peeping Tom, which is so weird to me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe just Powell, but it was Powell. You had this pressing on what you could do back then. But like, I think if they wanted to show it, you probably would. Because it was three years later when you had um, when you when you had uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis start to show up and you had really like gore film start right. to become a thing. That was only three years later. So um, the extent to which I think if they wanted to both Powell and Hitchcock, I think probably could have gotten away with showing a little more. But I don't know that they were particularly interested in just showing bodies coming apart because neither of them ever did that again when um, when you really could. You know, even in Frenzy, which is Hitchcock's like big, super violent one. I mean, you never, it's not, not really bloody. And Powell, he, he never did anything like that again. I think it, it's a different kind of filmmaker's interest. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I, you know, like Peeping Tom is a movie that uh, is, you know, exploitative and, and creepy. And it's making you sort of indulge in what this murderer's, you know, voyeuristic pleasures are. But not without still making him seem kind of horrifying. And I think in part is because they're, they're not revealing too much. They don't let you become as numb as the, the character is. Yeah, and I don't think you can successfully do a movie about something violent happening and have you be appalled by the violence without at least dipping into that water of um, making you experience it with them, you know? I, like I would, you, then you get to like moralizing, like petty moralizing movies that I don't think they ever really accomplish anything. Have you seen Man Bites Dog? Yeah. So I hate that movie. <laughs> I don't really like it either. Because it's exactly like you say. I feel like they, they force you to watch this movie. They, they, they kind of drag you in. Uh, and for those who haven't seen it, it's, it's like a sort of mockumentary uh, following around um, a, a murderer, like a serial killer. And being like, you know, like a whole documentary crew shooting as if he's talking to the documentary crew as he goes around killing people, which sort, sort of sounds funny. Quite honestly, at least that's what I thought. Well, it if was it like, was like uh, Jemaine Clement or is that how you say his name again? Yes, um, no. actually, but that movie was great. The the vampire movie. Yeah, that's what, how yeah. you described that. That, that reminded me of that. That's a real good movie. It's a great movie, but <laughs> Man Bites Dog. That's what we do in the shadows, everybody. Throw that yeah. one on your list. That one's that's really an good. awesome movie. I heard they're making a sequel. I'm very excited. But, yeah, about um, the werewolves. Yes, it's going to be so good. Uh, but Man Bites Dog, it basically, it starts to, to dissolve in that the um, the documentary crew starts to eventually partake in the violence with the serial killer. And then, like, they start to sort of indulge in it with him, killing, like, children. Like, there's this, this one scene where they just, like, very graphically, this whole movie, it becomes so graphic. Mm. And then eventually, like, you know, they're, they're graphically, like, they they murder and rape this this, like, old elderly couple... And then they show you the aftermath in the morning where like everyone's like drunk and like naked and like these couple, like their intestines are like spilling out on the floor. And it's like, it's actually, it's in black and white, but it's absolutely disgusting. I, I've never felt more physically ill in, in a film. And and then like eventually the documentary crew, I'm, I'm spoiling it, but they, they start to also get picked off themselves by the serial killer because he's not their friend, you know? 
And the whole point of this movie being is that like, you know, well, fuck you for watching this. That's and that's what drove me crazy. It yeah. was like, well, it's, that's the that's the funny games thing. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's a whole like strata of those movies that you can sort of boil down to fuck you for watching, including Cabin in the Woods. But they all have like such subtly different approaches and like yeah. something that on paper could be the same thing just really doesn't work in one. I didn't think um, I didn't like Man Bites Dog at all. Because I thought the concept was basically done first and better in like 15 minutes of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer anyway. Right. Which is really, like it manages to to do everything um, Man Bites Dog does better. And, and it does it faster. And I think it does it without getting fucking superior about itself. Yeah, that's still one of my favorite horror movies. That's yeah. top 10 for me. And, and Funny Games, I think the original does a great job. Yeah. A tremendous job of like really teasing out all the moral possibilities of somebody watching a horror movie. And then the remake, which is ostensibly shot for shot the same, but he wanted to remake it in America because suddenly Haneke was convinced that violence was like an American problem. Mm -hmm. Then it gets stupid yeah, because Haneke doesn't understand America and because it's made with movie stars. So you can't, you can't take it seriously the same way you can the one that's full of unknowns. Yeah, the original is is so well made and obviously a very difficult movie for a lot of people to watch. It's not one for everybody. If you're squeamish about, you know, seeing people tortured or played with in that way, it, you don't need to watch it. It's I, I wouldn't put it on like, a, oh, a must watch thing. It's like if you can yeah. take it, watch it. But it's so meticulously well made and the acting is extraordinary. The, yeah. the two leads, the two um, bad kids that are essentially um, torturing this family, they are so good and the family is so good. It's just a, it's a really a display of amazing dramatic acting. Yeah, it fundamentally works as its story and as a comment on its story. Right. Where I think the, the remake doesn't work as a story mm-hmm. and it's why I don't care about the metatextual stuff about it, which is my same problem with Man Bites Dog. I think I, I don't care about what's happening and I don't think it's particularly well displayed. So I don't care about, you know, the like takeaway of it either. Yeah. And Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, you're, you're along every step of the way. Cause he's, he's a ferociously good actor. His, uh, his buddy in that film is, is an amazing actor as well. I mean, you and just it, it get doesn't feel like it's, it. it doesn't feel like it's hovering over anybody. No. It feels like it's down in the dirt with them. Absolutely. Which I think is the only position you can, you can take if you're going to make one of those like, you know, comment on horror movie stuff, movies, you know, you have to really be in there with them. It's almost like Unforgiven, the the Western. I think a big part of the reason it works as a, as a commentary on why the myth of the Western was broken to begin with is because Eastwood loves Westerns mm. and like lived with them and grew up with them and was, you know, he's a Western person. So he understands both the allure and the, um, the bad baggage that comes with it. And I think it's the same with horror movies. Yeah, I think that the problem with Man Bites Dog is it's it's a horror movie made from the position of people who are coming in with their hypothesis already ready. I think one thing that's interesting about Man Bites Dog uh, is that the the director killed himself. It's the only movie he ever made and then he killed himself. So I think that that's sort of interesting as far as uh, where he was uh, sort of emotionally, even though he came in and I feel like that movie was very haughty. That movie is talking yeah. down to you. Yeah. It's saying, fuck you. How, like, how dare you come here ha- expecting to have a good time? This is what you get is you get an, a complete horror show Do you feel where like you want to run is? out of it. Haneke, I, I feel like is just sort of, 
I, I don't feel like funny games is, uh, is as fuck you in a way it is in a, it's, it's telling you, Hey, this yeah, is I a agree. terrible yeah. idea showing up here and thinking you were going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think the remake is, is as talking down to you as man the bites remake, dog. And yeah. I think it might be because of the critical reception to the first one. Right. And the fan reception. Yeah. He had like a Lars von Trier moment with that one where he was like, you know, like um dogville, which I actually like the movie dogville, but then the ending, he was like, fuck America. And I'm like, that doesn't like this, this could happen anywhere. Like this is yeah. an American. He's never movie. This is weird European. <laughs> this is weird European filmmaker thing. Where they'll sublimate their violence into America and say, like, it only happens here. And you'll be like, well, I mean, Paris and also, like, the entirety of European history. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Like, they're pretending like we never heard of the Thirty Years' War over here. Yeah. But, I mean, I I do get annoyed with movies the same way that, like, you see a movie that is about, like, you know, just trying to manipulate you into crying. Actually, talk about Lars von Trier, um, Dancer in the Dark, I thought was a completely manipulative, obnoxious movie. I still haven't watched that one. It just, it's, there's no way to watch it and not cry unless you're just a cold, cold hearted bastard. But it just, it's so, it's like, I refuse to let Bjork make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I'm not going to let that happen. (laughs) Yeah. I I honestly wouldn't recommend it as a film. I don't like it. I think it's just like the whole point is just to make you feel bad and there, and there's no reason for it. It's like you didn't even do a good job crafting this. You just put her in this, these terrible situations over and over and over again. And so you just, you just feel horrible about it. And then, you leave, you know, it's like it's emotional torture porn. Yeah. It's not even, but it's not even like, the, I feel like with the word porn, you're implying some level of pleasure at somewhere, even if it's like, you know, what's, what's the word? Schadenfreude, the pleasure and misery. Yeah. But it's uh, but with that movie, no, it's just miserable. It's well, just it could be movie. his, his porn, you know, making that. Yeah. But that. then it, when you're just, that's just, I, you know, I don't want to watch Lars von Trier masturbate. <laughs> he seems to think that that would be. He does seem to think that that is what <laughs> most people sell. want. Yeah. Have you seen Breaking the Waves? No. See, that's the one of his that's a woman going through like a whole bunch of horrible shit excessively. That I, I, that's maybe my second favorite after Dogville as far as his work. I think that one's just a masterpiece in its own way. And uh, Dancer in the Dark, I just, I guess I never watched because Bjork, because <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to watch a movie starring Bjork. I don't want to do that. I like Bjork. I really like Melancholia. I love Melancholia. Actually. I missed it. I was going to see it. Melancholia, I thought was it's. I think it's my favorite from him. Wow, because it's um he has all these like operatic touches that I think weirdly like ground it. You know, mm. like it's about this one woman who's just very depressed and like emotionally fucked up. But meanwhile, it'll it'll like it'll almost like let you into her head. So like it'll have all this like end of the world imagery, which in a sense is is real in the movie but really like it just feels like it's you know like you're getting her perspective on things mm-hmm. and i think that element of it really um like it it gave it context in a way that the other ones didn't have you know like emotional context came from that also fucking kirsten dunst and john hurt is in it too so it's like two of my favorites i mean if you even put kirsten dunst and john hurt in a movie together that's fine just call me <laughs> let me know and i'll be there you should have like a google alert on that i should I really should. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about Man Bites Dog again, and I'm thinking that what actually felt like a real backstab about that movie on top of just how, how much it talked down to you was that it was one of those like, oh, not all movies are friendly moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not, I don't mean like, you know, of course, you know, there are mean movies, but I, I'm just like, it felt like such a, a direct fuck you. And yeah. it felt like a backstab because there I was happily watching a ton of movies. And then I was like, oh shit, now I realize, you know, it's like when you, you're a child and then like, 
you pet dogs all the time and then one growls at you you're like oh shit not all dogs are nice <laughs> see that's the thing with like movies like hostile that became so notorious around the time where people were just throwing the term torture porn around and it became this like they were tp and everybody with tp that's right <laughs> it became this hot button thing but i think when you sit down and watch hostile you never get that torture porn vibe that you may get from like something like the guinea pig series or or things like that like hostile there's something like i don't want to say lighthearted, but it steers you through the film in like a pretty safe way it's because he's not a good filmmaker i think <laughs> well i i like his work i like cabin fever cabin fever i like but that's it and really? i and really I when like you look hostile at his films like the, the best movies are the ones that stick closest to shores other people have uh have discovered mm -hmm. you know like cabin fever is pretty good because he's just smart enough to rip off evil dead most of the time and um now he's back to ripping off cannibal holocaust which is probably the absolute platonic ideal of what we're talking about now right um in in every sense both in the sense of it feeling like it's speaking down to you while also really sort of like reveling in its own misery mm. cannibal Holo holocaust i think is a really um complex movie not in an intellectual way, just in an instinctive way. Well, it's funny that movies like Hostel or whatever will be called like borderline snuff. You know, Cannibal Holocaust will also be called like borderline snuff and, and faces of death, obviously, etc. But for me, the, the most disturbing aspect of those movies, which isn't really the thing called snuff, but it is the snuff, is the stuff where like animals are just killed. Yeah, and, and the progeny of the genre was the Mondo Kane movies in the 60s, which were um, half-fictionalized, half-real documentaries from Italy. Italy invented torture porn. Yeah. Um, and, and they were these sort of half-fictionalized documentaries that were extraordinarily well-shot hoaxes. It, like, sometimes there's, like, weird ceremonies in the Amazon, these, like, very, like, racist, like, um, depictions of, like, Africans and South mm -hmm. Americans as like these these weird like you know like it's like propaganda and films, stuff basically. yeah and then that would be mixed with um like forged death footage and then that would be mixed with like actual like executions in like the third world and then that would all be mixed with just like animals yeah animals, animals like shit the, that always gets yeah, me yeah like there's one of the Mondo Kane movies where I think it's just like a a monkey being like beat to death is one of the clips mm -hmm. yeah and. And like, that's the real stuff. That's what steers me away from like Cannibal Ferox and Holocaust and stuff is that they'll just intercut stock footage of like a frog being ripped in half. Or Well, it's what makes Cannibal Holocaust work as a movie. And it's also what makes it completely indefensible morally, I think. Mm -hmm. Because Cannibal Holocaust, you spend an hour watching real footage of people, you know, cutting a sea turtle's head off and, you know, like shooting a capybara and just like all this fucking terrible shit that's real yeah and then it gives you 20 minutes which is wonderfully composed and beautifully edited well beautiful is the right word but you, but you know like incredibly skillfully made hoax footage of of the people dying right and you've been so primed to see real death that for like maybe the only time in your adult life watching a movie you'll see these people die and like really feel like you just watched somebody get murdered mm. And the only reason it works is because they front-loaded you with the the real animal death. But, I mean, the movie isn't worth anything. Right. And this is coming from somebody who adores horror movies. Yeah. And who will Same say that here. it's a, 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 an incredibly skillfully made movie from a, a director, Deodato, who I've followed his career a little bit because I'm just fascinated by him. And he's like, I mean, he's very good, but he's also just 
terrible. Yeah. He just does terrible things. And he's a terrible person. And it's, you have to like, look at the, this is the line, the, the line, the, I guess, snuff film line he's talking about. Like, at what point are you just enabling something miserable to enter the world? Well, you know what I was going to bring up, actually, talking about animals, is that there is a weird contradiction in our sort of disgust with animals being murdered on film for movies, which I'm completely agreeing with. It's horrible and I hate it. And then watching two animals kill each other. (laughs) That's like the snuff film we've all seen, you know? Which is? Just like nature documentaries. There's something very compelling. I mean, nature documentaries are not orchestrated. I know, but I mean, well, if you were, that's the thing that some of them were. That, yeah, I mean, that's that terrible. classic Disney example with the uh, lemmings yeah. that they basically tossed off of. I mean, you know that that's oh, yeah. terrible. But you know, when you're watching yeah. Planet Earth, yeah, 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 I mean, if you were watching Planet Earth and and Richard Attenborough or David Attenborough came on screen and said, "We just found this mongoose <laughs> and we found this snake and we're going to put them in this room and see which one comes out," <laughs> you wouldn't watch that. I know you wouldn't watch that because there's that movie Men Behind the Sun where they have the room full of rats. And it's another one that's trying to do the cannibal Holocaust thing where um, they show you a real animal die to make you think you're seeing real people die. Right. So they have a room full of rats and they throw a cat into it. And you watch the rats just in real life just tear this cat apart. Yeah. This was like as, as bad as people say torture porn got in like the mid 2000s. This is sort of a sideline. 70s to the 80s, that shit was out of control. Yeah, with killing animals? Yeah. How about, though, you know, everyone loves pizza rat. And then recently there was a a video of a rat killing a pigeon that went viral. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. I watched it (laughs) and it was horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to see that shit. But I thought it was interesting. I was thinking about that because I was also I was talking about to John. Would you have watched it if it started with a kid catching a rat and catching a pigeon and putting them in a terrarium together to see who would live? No, I would have been I very upset about that. that's the difference. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. I think there's a weird, it's a weird contradiction. Like if but I, I don't see, see a, that as a contradiction. Because I, I in the, after watching that video, I, I was not happy with the outcome. Even though it said a rat killing a pigeon, I didn't really expect the rat to kill the pigeon, and it did, you know? But I, right. I was sort of dragged into it. Or like there's a video that, that also scares the shit out of me that is a giant centipede. Eating the mouse? Eating a mouse. Eating its brains out through its mouth. Oh my God. It's mm-hmm. really, really horrible, but you can't, you kind of can't look away once you've started watching it. And, but then you, you like can't unsee it. Yeah. And so it's, it's sort of interesting to, to sort of see how, you know, at least I have gotten dragged into that. Whereas if someone says, Hey Jenna, we're going to watch a Serbian film. I'm going to say, no, fuck you. Like, I don't see, want to see that shit. What's interesting, though, is I think the impulse comes from the same place, which is probably like this instinct to just see how bodies work, you know? I, the, and like, just like to see how how things are put together and how like the cycle of nature works and all that. I think that's thing, probably the, the impulse behind um, at least like the guinea pig movies, you know, right? Well, I think with the well, guinea pig... Well, those I never had that impulse. The, the guinea pig No, I, I know you, like most people never have the impulse to go beyond the, the animal thing. But right. the centipede thing just made me feel like, well, this is what's going to happen when like, you know, centipedes get larger and then we die. This is how they're going to kill us. You know, they used us. to be much bigger. It can't yeah. happen again because Don't tell me um, that. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The reason dinosaurs used to be so big too is because there was more oxygen in the air. Back in ye olden days, there's less oxygen now than there used to be, which means you can't have megafauna on that scale again. And it means that... Are you using King Kong as your source material for this? (laughs) (laughs) It means that, like, way back yonder, I think, like, pre-dinosaurs, this is like, I mean, anybody who actually knows any science will kill me for 
all my inaccuracies on this, but the general sketch of it is that way back in the day, there were like 10 foot centipedes and scorpions oh, walking around. Oh God. Fighting each other. I was thinking about Would him. you watch that? Like if there was footage of a Fuck 10 yeah. foot scorpion fighting a six foot oh, you centipede, you oh, yeah. have to see that, right? I'd fighting like what like a giraffe. I'd watch the shit out of I that. I wouldn't be able to watch it. I wouldn't be able to watch him kill a mammal, which I know is an Anthropocene. Um, no, I feel you. Yeah. There's weird contradictions. It's like, we'll all watch something die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to see something That's die. That's the title of the episode. We'll all watch something die. It's true. Yeah. And everybody has like their slight. There's like a, a cutoff. Yeah. Like I'll watch like a spider eat like a fly and I'll be like, that's fine. Or yeah. like someone will kill a, a spider and I'll be like, that's fine. Actually, but now I'm starting to feel bad for spiders. I like spiders. I'm very pro spider. Yeah. Because they kill all the little, the little gross things like gnats and mosquitoes. and. See, but those things we don't care about. We're going to have to apologize to all of these in the afterlife. No, fuck mosquitoes, man. Fuck Whole bunch of mosquitoes. <laughs> all right, let's bring them back to movies a little bit to talk about the guinea pig films. You Is were there s- something wrong with the rest of the episode just being blown <laughs> out talking about mosquitoes? <laughs> And hey. the life cycles of insects. Hey, we it'll diversify the uh, the podcast. We could get listed in the science podcast. Yeah, hard right turn. We're just talking about yeah. megafauna from now on. Smug science. Smug science. Smug fauna. There we go. Um, but guinea pig, you were you were saying there's a fascination with seeing how a body works and its composure and all that. Which I think there's definitely an element that. But the vibe that I've always gotten from guinea pig whether it's even intended intended or not and and films of that ilk where you're essentially just watching a person on a table be dissected they've always felt similar to tech demos but as far as like practical effects but that's assuming you know it's tech well which they didn't when the the movie came out i mean it really wasn't until the internet age yeah the same with faces of death i'm more focused on i guess the uh now everybody knows obviously it's fake kind of thing you know, those movies are still being made. And a recent one even just came out called American Guinea Pig, uh, called like Blood and Guts, or that was like the subtitle or whatever. But basically, it's the same tradition of a person on the table and being cut up and stuff. And it always feels like a practical effects tech demo, similar to like when you see like CGI stuff that's essentially just a CGI tech demo or whatever. It's like, for people that are really into practical effects, because there definitely is like a uh, a segment of the horror enjoying populace who will seek out otherwise not so great movies that that do practical effects really well, like a movie like Society, which just isn't a good movie, gets like praised by a certain segment of the horror going public because there's some practical effects stuff that is actually legitimately impressive. Well, there's also a lot of like kind of really unique surreal storytelling in that which i think draws people in too but it's it's not pulled off well i don't think i don't, I don't think there. that's there i mean I, I i think it's pretty good i don't love it but if it was a 20 minute 30 I, minute I don't think tales the, from the crypt i would be on board with that. i don't think the pull of society is entirely the um effects i think if it was then nobody would ever move past guinea pig too you know which what's kind of interesting about the guinea pig movies is that only one of them is like that it's Guinea Pig 2, Flower of Flesh and Blood, which mm-hmm. I've never been able to sit through. I love that you all know these titles. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time researching violence in movies because it's... Researching, he says, Cody, <laughs> as you dial 911. Continue. I just think it's a very interesting topic, and I wish we could discuss it like adults, Jenna. Because <laughs> I think it's actually really important. Continue. Okay. 
Well, the bigger, but I do think it's. But but what I'm saying yeah. is, um, Guinea Pig Two is really the only one. It's the only one. It's the one where the samurai um cuts the woman up on the table, and that's the whole mm-hmm. movie. And it's the one that Charlie Sheen saw and called nine one one because he thought it was a real murder. He was probably high at the time, to his credit. <laughs> but that's engaging with the film in a way that you or I will never be able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a tech demo to anybody who's just presented with that one. Right, at the time. But, but I'm talking about like 16-year-old kids on the internet who basically just want to see practical effects and are obsessed with it. But yeah, I mean, but later on, there's a bunch of other ones and they all have stories. And like some of them are actually kind of good. Yeah. There's one, I think it's called the third, it's the third one. It's called um, He Can Never Die. <laughs> and it's real gross, but it's just about this guy who like just realizes he can't die. So he starts to do all this like weird stuff just to test it. Like he drams like a metal or like a plastic protractor like through his temple. Ooh. And like, oh yeah, this super gross, like really grimy violence. It doesn't hurt? No, he, he doesn't feel pain and he can't die. Oh yeah, then I'd do that if I didn't feel pain. And I, I, I didn't like it very much, but it, it, I remember it being like sort of like a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one called like Mermaid in a Manhole where the dude finds a mermaid right, in a manhole. Yeah. And that one's completely alighting any pretense of anybody <laughs> believing it's like a real thing like one and two do. So you have um, this concept of this entire series that's built its back on, um, on one movie that's not really like the others, but... For whatever reason, it's the only one anybody remembers. And to be honest, it's probably the only one culturally worth remembering mm-hmm. is the second one. But I can't even really explain why. It's just there's something... I wonder if maybe like the audacity of it is part of it too. You know, just like the idea of making that movie is fascinating. Well, it's like... like with, what kind of mind does that? Yeah, it's it's going off into a very dark, distant direction as as far and distant as it can, much like... You know, there's music that's like, you know, there's grindcore bands that are are so fast and so dense in their sound and it's barely listenable unless you're looking for, all right, well, what's the band that goes further than anybody else in that department? And even in like in uh, funny games, don't they play like some grindcore at like a certain point? Isn't the beginning over? Um, yeah, the, the beginning. And then there's a part in like a house later on where he like throws a CD on or or whatever. The point being, there is sort of like a a commonality, I would say, between the genres, you know, music and yeah. and visual and that, where it's like these people that are trying to go further than anybody else just to go there. Yeah. Can I just say, as a side note, I cut a video for a corporate client once. I'm not going to say who, but the opening was a shot of um, a guy and his wife sitting in a car, you know, the, the same sort of like front pointing in through the windshield shot. And the text came up in full screen red Futura. And I didn't realize until like a week later that I had just accidentally recreated the opening of Funny Games. That's this like corporate video. That's amazing. I feel like actually a line for me with these sort of films is I hate when they're billed as black comedies and then they look very realistic like that. Like yeah, it's like disingenuous. Dog. Right? Yeah, it is. It is yeah. super disingenuous. I think that's really what it, what it comes down to. Also to, again, bring it back to, to Thomas's sort of question is that the, the lines for me have more to do with about how it's being presented and then what the sort of takeaway is meant to be. Mm-hmm. And if the takeaway is meant to be like, fuck you for watching this, you idiot. Why do you like violence? You're horrible. You're ruining America or whatever the fuck. But it's like, well, dude, it's you made the America. movie. <laughs> it's always America. And that's something that bugs me with any genre. Like I remember yeah. one yeah. time I was, uh, 
you know, you go through the on demands on like cable because you just you're like, fuck, what the fuck am I going to watch? I want to watch something that I wouldn't watch in a million years. Let me just see what's there. And I tried uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins, the live action Jim Carrey <laughs> film. <laughs> And, I'm so uh, sorry. Absolute yeah. torture porn, that one. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. I was expecting... He's popping those penguins. All right. <laughs> Jim Carrey, madcap, kind of like, oh, what are these penguins going to get into kind of thing? No. The first 15 minutes are so dark and weird and so like entrenched in like father issues and sadness in that regard and like the father issues of him as like a child and then suddenly he's an adult and now he's an asshole and it's very dark and weird. And the dialogue is very, um, like they say the, the letter P a lot with all their things, like like V for Vendetta. I really want to watch this now. That sounds Oh, God. Great. It's, <laughs> this sounds kind of awesome. It <laughs> is horrible. They're, they're saying like P a lot, but they're using like big words in order to make it work. Proboscis? Yeah. Pul- shit, pulchritude? Like, sure. I'm sure both pants? of those. <laughs> so... I could make. Do they say pants? They do say pants. I I I would assume they say pants. But um, you get into like 15 minutes pants. in, and you're realizing a dad taking his kid to see this movie, like on a Sunday or whatever. Like, all right, I'll take him to see the Penguin movie or whatever. You sit down, and it's just like dad issues, dad issues, dad issues. Dialogue that's impossible to follow. The penguins show up like maybe like 30 minutes in and they don't do anything really. They're just kind of there. It's, it's a very strange, weird movie and a total fuck you to any kids who just wanted to see Jim Carrey hang out with penguins. I mean, you contrast that with like Ace Ventura where that starts and it's like, yes, we're on this ride. I hate Ace Ventura. I love Ace Ventura. I hate most of Jim Carrey's movies except Dumb and Dumber. I really liked The Mask as a child. I love me some Ace. The Mask is pretty good. I even like Ace Ventura too. But uh, point being, it's a total bait and switch. I hate it when it happens with kids' films because that to me is even more despicable because a kid's sitting down, he wants Jim Carrey and some penguins getting into some hijinks and he gets just this fucking... It's like a screenwriter that is like, oh, fuck, I have this stupid like penguin movie job. Fuck it, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm just going to do... Because he'll just do it anyway kind of thing. It's like this very cynical approach to the material. Well, that's the thing with like, you know, so Clockwork Orange, I think, you know, I, I really love that movie and that movie still creeps me out to this day. It's still sort of shocking. And it, it I got the same message from Clark, Clockwork Orange, uh, you know, at least about that, you know, sort of the nature of violence message as I did from, let's say, Man Bites Dog. But Man Bites Dog kind of like fucked me over. Yeah. Now I feel like, you know, I feel like I got like bitten by it. I feel like, fuck, like now I have to like watch what I choose and maybe I'm even missing stuff because I'm like, "Ah, I don't want it to be like that movie again, you know, whereas like Clockwork Orange, there's scenes that will haunt me from that movie and and it's completely terrifying, but I don't feel like it screwed me over. Right. It maybe scarred me a little bit, but like it didn't like just ruin my life the way that Man Bites Dog kind of did when I first saw it, you know? See, but I'm leery of all of this though because I hate the idea of us reaching the conclusion, well, you know, every movie should be what's written on the packaging. And like, I hate the idea of like, if you're going to do a Penguin movie with Jim Carrey, you better do it by the book, you know, or we'll, we'll get you. Well, like, I, I hate to think we're like the fucking Medici's or something, like tell them what the goddamn <laughs> screenwriters can make I their movie I think there's virtue to that. But I, I think I, there's virtue to making just a Penguin hijinks movie. I don't think there's any virtue to saying, um, 
your movie has to be like the last three movies that were like this. But I understand the larger point, which is that like sometimes you hit a movie where like you feel like it's treating you with contempt. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's my point. <laughs> Less, I, less about the penguins and, and more about I just it's not even that it's I don't like the disingenuousness of of like being talked down to by someone who who spent months making something to show to me. Yeah. You know, See, like, I like a, I, you came yeah. out of your way to walk into my house yeah. and hand this to me. In a like way. if you hate super violent movies, go make a really good nonviolent movie. Right. I mean, show give me. It, or, yeah. Or give us another path. Yeah, or or just make it more skillfully that you can achieve this sort of fear or or you know whatever is being achieved by violent films without yeah. violence. You know what it reminds me of? Um, Banksy built that stupid dismal land thing in yeah. Britain, mm-hmm. and it's like this whole elaborate, extremely expensive, like depressing art piece um, theme park showing how like how broken the Disneyland model is and like the e- economic inequalities of like Disneyland and you know how it's. Like just rich kids or whatever, right. and I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Well, you had that money. Why didn't you just build a really fun theme park for poor kids?" Right. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just like rubbing everybody's face in a problem and giving you nothing in return. Yeah, right. that's a good point. Like, I don't think there's any any merit in pointing out a problem that you don't have a solution for. But see, that's that's exactly as my issue with Mr. Popper's Penguins is it doesn't have that yes and quality where like a movie like Elf, I would say, is very yes and where it's like, all right, yes, we're gonna give you everything you want and need from like just a Christmas movie, but we're also going to add a little bit extra where this is something that's a bit better than the rest. We're doing something more here. You know, I, I wanted that from Mr. Popper's penguins. And instead I got basically Banksy's dismal land where any kid sitting through the first 20 minutes is like, I want to leave. What about that other Christmas movie you really like though? The one that one doesn't, give Christmas. You, yeah, doesn't give you any, <laughs> Christmas movie cheer. See, that's the thing. I I adore that film, and maybe it's the distance. I liked it too, but what what's different about this one? That's a good question. I think it's the distance that I have to it. Whereas, you know, that's a movie that came out in the eighties that I guess I did. I probably wouldn't have seen when it came out. It probably came out years before I was born. Um, and I adore that movie because I guess I watched it when I was old enough to appreciate a very dark Disney movie. I mean, this, this a dark feels Christmas like an movie. Irreconcilable double standard. It, it could very well could be, but it might be the exception to the rule. And well, that's a Disney movie, too. Yeah. Which movie? Uh, one Magic Christmas, which I really think you should check out. That's the one where Mr. Popper goes and sees all the penguins. <laughs> does it does it bill itself, though, as like a Christmas cheer movie? Oh, absolutely. Oh, totes, totes. See, that's the problem. That's, oh, really? See, it's, it totally contradicts it's everything I said. sparkles on the box. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most dark, twisted films of any genre that I've ever seen as far as bait and switches go. Was the it a movie I, that was just maybe the, the the marketing campaign was so far removed from what was actually being done? Because I feel like that's, that's even different. That's, that's a great point. Do you think that's the case with Mr. Popper's Penguins, though? Well, I think, yeah. I think that, that, No, because I, I Mr. Really, Popper's Penguins is like a... <laughs> it's like a children's book, right? I mean, it was... It, yeah, it's no a Roald I know nothing about it. It's a Roald Dahl book. Oh, it's Roald Dahl? He was dark, though, yeah, a he's lot dark. of the time. But, usually. But come on. I'm the only one who's actually watched this movie. <laughs> I, no, I'm not. I can't comment on it. I, I know that the I saw the the trailers for it, and they were all like, it was like fun and games. Absolutely, we're gonna fill up a tub, and then we're it's gonna a, fall down look, the stairs. But judging and, a movie by the trailer is never fair to the movie, right? It's typically it's the kangaroo Jack scenario where every kid thought that the movie was about a talking kangaroo, 
and then they saw the movie and he talks once for like 30 seconds in a dream sequence and the rest of the movie is nothing like that. I have no reference point for this. Well, no. I was going to say like, Why you know, did you see Kangaroo Jack? <laughs> and how many times have you seen why, Kangaroo Jack? First of all, once. And second of all, why didn't I see Kangaroo Jack? <laughs> Well, Matilda and um, Willy Wonka both were are the children's walks, movies that weren't really like advertised as like fun and happy all the time. They were advertised as like fun and happy, a little sinister. But even if they were advertised as fun and happy, which, you know, some of the post material for them is, it's not the movie's fault if they're not. I mean, it, Willy Wonka would still be just as good if the ads were shitty, you know? Uh but I could see why people would, would like, you know, like Cody coming into like Mr. Like there's nothing yeah. about Mr. Popper's Penguins that, let you, that lets you even know it's a Roald Dahl book, even though it's a, a popular right, book. Right, right, right. That was news to both of you. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. pay attention to it. You know what? I might, now that I think about it, I might be wrong on that. I think it is. I should double check that. Why don't you, yeah, Jenna, look that up real quick. But the point being, if I took my kid to Mr. Popper's Penguins, I would be kind of incensed. I would kind of, I would probably just walk out and go see something else with the kid because it, it it's nothing enjoyable for a child. No, this is some Atwater guy. Atwater? Why is it, it enjoyable for an adult though? I mean, on the, no, on the basis no, no, of no. being a, a, a sad story about family issues, is it good at that? Well, it came out on the 30s. And that's 30s, probably what it could come down to. So that's why it's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name? Doll was not happy, man. Or was it not him? Who? No, it was it was Richard and Florence Atwater. Hmm. See, I always associated in my mind with Fantastic Mr. Fox. See, that's all. This is this to me now that we're uh, getting into it. It's like Shrek. I didn't like the Shrek movie because the book was much more interesting and deep. There's a Shrek book? It, that's what it was a children's book before it became a movie. And it yeah. was this great book about being like ugly and, and no one liking you. <laughs> it was a good book. And it, and like then this movie came out that had nothing to do with the book other than the name. And was a huge, know, there was huge a lot success. of ugly yeah. and nobody liked Shrek and Shrek. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was the, ugly the book and is nobody like, liked him. The children's book is good. I would recommend like adults read the children's book because it's much more interesting than the than the movie was. This is straying pretty far from the. Uh, yeah. So the reason I'm saying that is because I'm I'm looking at the plot here of Mr. Popper and nothing says it's just like a guy who comes into a bunch of penguins. Is his yeah, first name Jalapeno? <laughs> that that's nothing like the. Uh, I need confirmation on is his first name Jalapeno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay Popper. He has children and he has a wife. I feel like I'm just in the for, film, the for the viewers out there, the listeners. I feel like I'm I'm not getting what I need on whether or not his name is Jalapeno. <laughs> it doesn't have a first name in the film. He doesn't have a wife. He's uh, the single miserable dude. I'm being roundly ignored. <laughs> I enjoyed the Jalapeno Popper joke. I, I I'll go on record. I enjoyed it. Roundly ignored. <laughs> so. To bring it back to body horror real quick, I just want to give a shout out to Stuart Gordon, who I think is excels at it even when he's very restrained with it. I think a movie like Stuck shows that he can do so yeah. much body horror with so little. Stuck it, is really, yeah, it, it's almost like minimalist theater. Oh, God, is that one good. And uh, that's one of the only horror movies I can remember in the last 10, 15 years that has like really made me cringe. That, that, yeah, it's there are very, parts of that one that are very cringeworthy. It's very small in like a smart way. Yeah. You know, like it really narrows your your field and to then the point you all, where you get all bugged out. And then you also have great stuff of his like uh, Castle Freak and uh, From Beyond that, that, that goes pretty far with uh, body stuff. Yeah. And uh, and his boy Brian Yuzna has uh, 
Well, yeah, Brian Usner's film is uh, Society. Yeah. And uh, Return of the Living Dead 3, which is great. Oh, you did that one? Yeah. Both of them, I think, are really uh, very good at it. Which one of them did um, Reanimator? That was Gordon, That was Gordon, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, the two of them are just... They're excellent at it because it's it's always just on the right side of silly. Mm-hmm. Until, it, until they have a reason for it not to be. Yeah, Gordon's Gordon's definitely one of my favorites. There's a one there's one that he did that was really weird that I don't know if a lot of people saw called King of the Ants. Yeah, King of the Ants was pretty good. That's a strange one. Unrelated to Empire of the Ants. Very. Which is about giant ants. Which is one of um Joan Rivers' favorite movies. Really? Yeah. She listed on her top five on um, you know, when they do the Rotten Tomatoes like pick yeah. five ones. It was like four like legit like safe picks and then she was like i really like empire of the ants it's pretty sweet it's yeah. one of the better uh hg wells adaptations <laughs> and you know very different from king of the ants yeah i wonder how many people got bait and switched on that one because <laughs> king of the ants you could argue is a bait and switch movie you see it and you think oh this dude's gonna get fucked up by ants <laughs> and you watch it and that just doesn't happen no no nobody gets fucked up by ants in that movie yeah all right so i i don't know that we necessarily I hope we answered it to his, uh, to his, his. I feel like I came to a conclusion eventually. Yeah. <laughs> for myself. One, uh, one out of three, God. <laughs> yeah. There but, was, uh, Thomas, thank you for the question. Thank there, you for sparking the discussion. There's one movie though that, that just popped into my head. It's called Frozen, but it's not, you know, Frozen. Oh, yes. I know what you want to Different about. movie called Frozen from like 2010. Yeah. And it's not super violent. It's just about these three people. It's like semi-based on a true story. It's one of those ones that was made in the wake of open water mm-hmm. when they got really into like people trapped horror movies. Yeah. Um, and it's just about these three people stuck on a ski lift after the ski lodge is closed. And they're just like, you know, waiting for help or waiting to die or whatever. And I usually kind of like movies like that. I really like movies about people in confined spaces. Same here. Because I think they can bring out a lot in actors and they can bring out a lot in stories. Like if you Cube? Just, yeah, or Cube 2 Hypercube. The Cube better Zero. one. Cube 2 Hypercube, that's my favorite. <laughs> one of my um, first encounters with my sophomore year roommate was we were looking through DVDs and he said, did you ever see the movie Cube where everybody's stuck in a cube? And I said, yeah, did you ever see the movie Sphere where everybody's stuck in a sphere? <laughs> and we had both seen both. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's in the cube tradition. It's in the cube panoply. Um, Cubopoly. But it's just like really mean yeah. to the characters. And it's really kind of like leering in, and sleazy in a way that it's not particularly violent, uh, even compared to what it could be. It's about just people freezing to death and getting attacked by wolves, you could really go far out there. But like, it really seems to just fucking like love the misery it's putting its characters through. Like there's, there's one shot in it that this shot came and I was like, that's it. This is, I truly hate this movie now, which I, I rarely do for reasons like this. But they're sitting on the ski lift and their hands freeze to the ski lift and they have to pull their hands off the metal and like rip the skin off. Ew. Just super gross. But he does it in like this really like leering, like loving close up. Mm. It, it just really pissed me off. Like it, it really just, for some reason, this one felt like you were just invited to watch people suffer and then die mm. and not take anything from it. Yeah, I don't like that. And like the presumption that I would, um, I would get into it and like the little things to dress it up to make it sort of elegant, all the, all the like gilding around it to make it feel like a real movie. I started like really resent all that shit because I felt like, like when you strip it down, you just have this movie that's, 
inviting me to see people die. Right. right. It started to piss me off. I actually did in my 31 Days of Horror thing, one of the movies I posted was um, this one suicide that is very much like it's just about these filmmakers who are filming people's suicides. And that's the whole movie. It's just like a series of suicides and little vignettes that are based around them. And I have like a very complicated response to this movie because it it's it makes you confront a lot of the um the latent appeals and repulsions of violence in movies in a way that, you know, you can't escape it with this movie. And I didn't reach any conclusions with it exactly, but it just like it really it made you it made you sort of try to figure out where you stood. Right. Because there were parts where you were like sitting there and it was like the tech demo thing. You're like, fuck, how did they do that? That's so cool. And then there are these parts where you're like getting this weird catharsis out of just like these people's pain and then there's these parts where it's like kind of funny and it just like runs the gamut of like all the inappropriate ways you can feel about watching somebody die Mm. so my conclusion i guess is if you really if you're stuck on this one just watch that and it'll force you to confront your own uh concept of the genre all right i guess my conclusion would be just watch henry portrait of a serial killer that's a good one i've seen it like four times i love it great film Jenna, you should watch that one. That's the one where Mr. Popper goes and sees the penguins. That's right. <laughs> it's an old bait and switch. All right, we're going to be right back. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 718395-9711 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening and now back to the show. And now Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, I've got a bone to pick with John and Jenna. I listened to the last episode of the podcast because I listened to, oh, I don't know, every episode of the podcast because I thought that was what you did when you were on a podcast. I thought you listened to it. But I guess I was wrong according to the last episode. According to the last episode, you guys don't listen to shit. You guys listen to like, well, Jenna said she listened to most of them, but then she's behind. Okay, fair enough. John said he listened to it like once just to see that he was on there and then he don't listen to it no more. What the fuck, man? And... Okay, it makes me feel like it makes me feel like a blind person who was like sitting in a room and thought she was hanging out with people and she was like laughing and stuff and then suddenly she could see and she could see that everybody was on their phones and not paying any attention whatsoever. And it's heartbreaking, all right? It's heartbreaking. That's what it's like being in Kansas City. You guys are in New York. And whatever, I'm still going to keep listening cuz it's a great fucking show. And there's a lot of funny shit that you're missing out on, John Demico. I mean, you're awesome, which is great. I know you don't hear me right now because you don't listen to the snippets I record because you don't listen to the episodes after you record them and they're added afterwards. But all that needless to say, the Smog Film Podcast is, as you would say about Rocky, the most good and you're missing out. So that's your loss, bro. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. And we're back. So, uh... It being October and all that, I assume we've been watching horror movies, people. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Jenna, you said you finally watched Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. So I'm watching all these because John D'Amico is peer pressuring me. And, um, I was actually a little disappointed. I know John's going to punch I me in the face. I might have built it up too much for you. Well, here's the thing I just, in, in comparison to Night of the Living Dead, I just thought it was 
almost a little too straightforward. And I just felt that the pacing was really uneven. Which thought, cut did you watch? Because there's like seven cuts of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are know. very different. It was like two hours long. That's like all of them though, right? Well, some are two and a half. Some are a little shorter. There, there are um, there are a lot of cuts and they all, they shot it like a shitload of footage for that movie. It's like Apocalypse Now where there's just different versions. And um, some of them, like Dario Argento cut one version and it's fucking terrible because he oh. just turned it into an action movie. There was a lot. Uh, well, the, the credits had Dario Argento and the Goblins in, in it, but I don't know. Well, if- the Goblin did the soundtrack to yeah. all the versions, so that should be fine. If it wasn't funny, it was the Argento version, which is not I didn't not think good. it was funny. You might have watched the wrong version. How maybe. did you watch it? Where did you watch it? At home on a television. Okay, that's... <laughs> you're not giving me a lot here. Like, which... What what cut? Like, what format? What what was the... Where'd you get it? Um, I streamed it. From where? So it was just some random stream? Yeah. You Yeah, you might have watched the bad one. Oh, really? There's a... The, the cut... There are ways to tell. There are scenes that are in like one and not the other. Um, but Argento, what he did was, um, and I still hold this against him, he took what was a really funny, genuinely great black comedy, and he cut all the comedy parts out. And I don't he played remember up all there, the action parts. Yeah, there was no comedy. Were in there it. like montages of zombies bumbling around while Muzak plays? Was a there a bit. pie fight? There was a pie fight. I, I, it might have been both versions, but the. Um, but it, I thought that the, the humor... So here's the thing, is I felt that the, the momentum gets lost. Once they get the, to the mall, I felt like it wasn't... And I, I feel like he ran into... Well, it, it's not really happens, a momentum movie. Well, I but I just stopped caring. That's what I mean. Is like, you know, at first I was like, okay, you know, we're, we're like, the world's been overtaken by zombies and we're going to deal with it now. There's some interesting stuff about just sort of where they're going to land. And then they get to this mall... And then they kind of run into the problem, I think, that a lot of zombie movies run, run into, which is why I haven't been the biggest fan of zombie movies, is that they're not scary because they're just sort of slow. And then, it's, not, it's, it's not a scary movie, though, the way um, Night was. This is the same trouble my dad had with this movie when he saw the movie, was that it was too different from Night for him the first time around. Well, Night just had momentum. It just built. Yeah, and, and so, it's like, super scary, and it's super like tight. Yeah. Dawn is like the opposite kind of movie. It's a, it's a sprawling character study that's like not very scary. But I didn't really get into the characters. I do, I will say that the parts that I really liked is when it starts to get mundane. Like when they're yeah, sitting around. Yeah, that's when it kicks in for me. But yeah. I, that part always wakes me up. I love that that mundane, mundane aspect of it. That was interesting. Or like the sort of joy of them running around this empty mall was was fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. But for the most part, I just- all the fur coats. Yeah, that was good. I, I mean, like, that was all well done. It was after they sort of secure the place, it got more interesting. But then with these bikers, I didn't understand the whole point of them. And then they, like, let everything in to kill these bikers, and they start killing these bikers. I'm like, just leave them alone. Like, you could have, like... I know that the bikers saw them, but they also were had were so well hidden that but they could have done okay. But there's that whole thing that Stephen goes out and he fights them because he's mad because he doesn't want to give up any of the mall. I mean, it's... It's they're doing the same thing the bikers are doing. It's the same thing Knight is doing. It's all about people who can't cooperate because they're latched onto their stuff. I it, mean, it's about this. They built this micro society of four people. And right. instead of they, they very explicitly tell you all they have to do is sit in that back room and wait and the bikers will leave. But they're they have so much pride in the in the in what they own now that they're not capable of doing that, which is exactly the whole time what they were talking about. The zombies are doing. They just wandered back here because the shopping was like an important place in their lives i like that i mean it's very what happens to them is the the, what happens to the zombies and what happens to the people 
in the tenement in the beginning. It's all this, and the people in the news station, it's all the same thing. People just can't leave their stuff and they can't leave their, their settlement for, for something better and they can't share. And it's the, the ethos of those first three, actually the first probably four, because Land is really big on that too, Romero movies that just like inability to, um, to accept somebody taking a piece of a pie. You know what it reminded you. me of though is Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, it was first. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it just had that sort of similar vibe and and I think that was what maybe bored me about Mad Max. So I don't know. I I just it was a little disappointing. I I kind of wanted it it wasn't scary at all. There was nothing that made like maybe like I jumped a couple of times, but when people got zombified, I was like, "Meh, whatever." Like, I didn't like the look of the zombies a lot of the time in that. Yeah, one. that was a, uh, cheesy. He had a big fight with Tom Savini about yeah. that. Cuz Romero, you got to remember his his next stuff was all creep show. He right. was very interested in zombies that weren't scary. He wa- he very specifically wanted this look that was non-realist. Like I, there's these stories of he and Savini had long fights about the color of blood in the movie because mm. it's that that like raspberry yeah looking. It doesn't look like blood. Yeah, yeah. And the the special effects guy was it was driving him fucking nuts. And the next movie and his Night of the Living Dead remake all has like very photorealistic violence and blood. But Romero for Dawn, he wanted um, he wanted something almost like um, like Romer or something where you have a little distance. It's very much, which is why like a lot of the times when you see the zombie, it's through glass too. It's it's all about having this distance from from them and not having a visceral reaction to them, which is what makes it very different from Night because Night is very visceral. Dawn, I think, does everything it can to cut that visceral element down as little as possible, so you can look intellectually at what's happening and, and you can look in the face of of what they're doing without feeling afraid and grossed out the way you the way they are which is why i say it's a character study in that way you you actually have a little bit of distance from the characters but that took um, me out of looking at it intellectually actually it's it's shot i don't know if you noticed this i thought you might get a kick out of this it's shot almost exactly like the graduate is shot it's all um flat tableaus with people standing in lines that are shot from far away and zoomed in. Yeah. Which is the look of the graduate and it's the look of the early um, Altman stuff. And it's it's this look that like, I think especially in the late seventies immediately transmitted this sort of um, message of like disaffected middle-class. Right. Like it's this look of being sort of um, being in, I don't even want to say a gilded cage, but being, you know, like fed and comfortable and not having anything to do or to strive for. And it, especially when they get into the mall, it starts to look like that. Before that, it's a little more jittery and you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of that really great um, Pennsylvania in the fall footage, which I really love. But like that, that middle of the great. mall. The callback to the original movie where they're flying over and you see everyone sort of walking in yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, all those residents look like they're having fun. I was like, yeah. And then that <laughs> montage of that song. Yeah. I love that stuff. But yeah, like once they get into the mall, they start filming it like The Graduate. And I think it's because it wants you to feel the same sort of um, disaffection you feel in The Graduate, as opposed to the same sort of like, they're right outside the door feeling of night. It's, it's, yeah, I, 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 I think, like that. That's what I liked about night, though, is that I like that sort of, I, and I feel like it's even easier without pulling away from those zombies, like that to compare the, the, the people with them and to draw those parallels. It did feel a little too, there was too much distance. And I wonder even if, if it, it was almost because it was in color, 
You know, you don't have yeah, that, that makeup. That. You don't have that. Yeah, sort that's of, a shock for sure. Yeah, and it, it, it takes away actually because when it's been black and white, it's a little harder to tell who's who. See, I really like the um, the look of Dawn a lot, and the look of Dawn is something that it will usually it usually gets a lot of criticism for. People will say it's his ugliest movie, but um, I think it, it really is intentionally shot in this this style that is um, it, it's trying to suck all of the. Um, the life out of the rooms, which I think is really interesting. And I, I think it makes it challenging. Like, I think especially if you have just come off of watching Night, which is such such a success in such a different way, and you come to Dawn, which is this very deliberate, it's almost like the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, that Night is so fast and it's, it's the themes are pretty, they're, they're deep, but they're simple and it moves really fast and it, 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 it has very clear, you know, like rising and falling and it's done. Dawn is more like the Odyssey, where it's this sort of um, this ramble through a country where at the end you realize you you were fighting yourself the whole time. And then it, it has this big sort of climax where you um, you reclaim a throne and then you try to figure out what the hell the whole point of anything was. And then you take off in a helicopter. Yeah. The original end, they were supposed to die. Yep. The original end, um, there are two different ways it was going to end. What happened was Romero decided he really liked the character, so he couldn't bear to do it. But... Um, the first ending was Peter was going to die in that little room. He was going to shoot himself. And then that would be the end of him. And then when she's waiting in the, in the helicopter for him at the end, and she hears the gunshot and knows he's not coming, she sticks her head through the blades Jesus. and kills herself, which they didn't do. And they actually used that cast of her head for the scene where the guy gets his head blown off in the tenement near the beginning. Mm. That's actually the, the, that's Galen Ross's head that they blow up. Because they didn't use it for the end. And then there was another version where they were going to take off and you were going to hear the helicopter run out of gas. And that was the end of the movie. That would have been good. But they didn't do it. And I'm glad they didn't do it because it's really, all it is, is underlining the same ending. Right. You know, the end of the movie as it is now is pretty much the same, except their death is delayed. Right. Either they'll die in the air or they'll die doing the same thing, you know, two months later or, you know. Like that, there's that same crush of hopelessness, but it, it's just not punctuated the way it is in night. Well, it felt more human to have them leave them with some hope, even if it was useless. Yeah. And then it sort of builds on that. And then, you know, day you have a similar ending, but it gives you even more hope. And they, they reverse the, the Peter and um, what is her name? God damn. What's her name? Galen Ross is the actress. I just watched it and I don't remember. <laughs> well, you reverse their roles even more. In the little society. I do have to say while watching Dawn of the Dead, I realized that I had seen the remake on television. I love the remake. It's so good. I really like the remake. I like and it I way better it, than the original. I saw I it while in the gym um, running. <laughs> and I was, I remember like, cause it came on and I was like, ah, fine. And then I realized it was really great inspiration for the treadmill <laughs> because it's something really exciting about running as you're watching people run from zombies. <laughs> yeah. And then like killing things to to the point where after I was done with the gym, like, you know, like an hour passed or whatever. And I was like, I got to get off this machine. I like had to go home and then watch the rest of it on TV because it was good. Nice. Yeah, it's really I was like, it's actually pretty, pretty decent. But I would one, recommend watching it on the treadmill. When that one came out, that came out in 05. And um, everybody was like, oh, they're, they're going to fuck this up. Yeah, you they know, were there's so no way. ready. There's no, I was sitting there. I was ready to be like, this movie is going to be a piece of shit because you cannot do Dawn of the Dead better. So what they did, and I think it was very, very smart, and people did this again later, but I'm not aware of anybody doing this before. 
they just played the first 10 minutes of it on TV. And it was fucking like the most brilliant marketing move. Because I remember watching it on TV. I was like, all right, first 10 minutes of Dawn of the Dead. I'll check it out. And the first 10 minutes are so good. Nice. And it, it was the whole thing where uh, Sarah Pauly gets attacked and then she makes mm-hmm. it. And then everything like up to the opening credits with the Johnny Cash song. They play everything up to and including the Johnny Cash song, which is like arguably the best stuff in the movie. And then they just stop. And you're like, you fuckers, you got me. <laughs> it's one of my favorite horror openings, I think. Yeah, it, that's a great movie. Both of them are great. Dawn of the Dead, the remake, I like probably the same every time I see it. Dawn of the Dead, the original, I will say, and I've seen it probably, it's got to be close to 30 times now. I usually like it more every time. That's incredible. I think it, it has a lot of meat on its bones. You know, the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, that was good. But I still like Night better. And then for a while, I liked Day better. And um, just the more I watched it, the more I like it. I, the, that one and Night, both of them, the more I watch them, the more I like Dawn of the Dead probably holds up to re- repeat viewings more than almost any other horror movie I'm aware of. Maybe I'll watch it again then. I've only actually seen it once. It's uh, it's just such an extraordinarily well thought out. And, and it's one of those movies where they use everything to their advantage. You know, those creepy little CDC hallways and the, the boxes and everything. And just the, the space is so beautifully used. And the, the camera work is so um, unusual, you know? Like, it, it, nothing else looks like that. Nothing else has that combination of, like, 70s naturalism and that. Like, you feel like the the chill in the air of October in that movie. Mm. And you combine that with the, like, the the almost poetically surreal, you know, like, the, the nun walking around and just, like, these weird, beautiful, like, one-off images in it. And then you com- combine all that with that, like, very aggressive music. It just, it has a vibe that I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything else pull off. Day of the Dead, I like a lot, but to be honest, I think I've peaked with liking that one. Well, Day of the Dead, my whole thing was that, is that they used the best shot in the movie in the first, like, a minute, and I'm like, it's one of my favorite horror shots ever. Probably not one of my favorite horror movies ever. Yeah, it, it gets worse as it goes. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. Any uh, final thoughts for our listeners before we skedaddle? With all of the, like, night of the dawn of the day, I always kind of, like, think of those before sunrise, before sunset <laughs> yeah. movies, and I kind of want a mashup. That would mash-up. be very cool. You should do that. Like a philosophical European zombie movie. Love story. I could give you a list of philosophical European zombie movies if you want. As there long as there's a goddamn love think. story. Really? More than you would think. <laughs> ton of them in the 70s. Actually, you know what I want to I wanna bring up is uh, talking about snuff films almost, is there's this horrible movie called The Brave with Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando. And it. it's oh, terrible. I remember that. Yeah. It's fucking terrible. It's where the, it was the Indian one, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's so bad. But the best part of it is Marlon Brando. It's about Marlon Brando is this weird old guy, as he is, as Marlon Brando is. Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando is Marlon Brando. And he requests that Johnny Depp, he wants to pay someone a bunch of money to star in his snuff film. And so Johnny Depp is like this like Indian on a, a reservation who has no money and like figures, you know what, this is the best I can do. So it's like then about him sort of taking this job and then going back home, spending some money on his family and like, you know, kind of having them enjoy their last days with him before he then goes back to make this snuff film. And it was awful. It was a terrible movie. It's not a terrible premise. It's not a terrible premise. I think it was a book and I'm sure the book is much better. But the movie was just it felt like like um, a teenage boy thinking he was being edgy kind of film. Mm -hmm. There's no you don't see any violence in it. Maybe. No. Well, there is some violence, but not the snuff film you never see. So it's like a concept. 
Marlon Brando is great. Apparently he pulled a Brando and like refused to read the script. And so he just rambles <laughs> as this guy who's like hiring Johnny Depp. And it's really good. But everything else just was like super pretentious, super cheesy. I feel like I'm going to like this movie. You should check it out. <laughs> I, I feel but, like I'm going to like Mr. Popper's Penguins. <laughs> that I'm actually intrigued by it. We yeah. think we should do a commentary for Mr. Popper's Penguins. Oh, I'm not sitting through that again. <laughs> I can I can give you... um. Two others, though, in that vein, though. Um, one's very bad, but historically massively important, so they say. I don't agree. The other's pretty good. There's this movie, Roberta Finlay, who was a porn director. You would probably know her. She was like a 60s, 70s porn director, and that's definitely... Not offhand. That's your milieu. Yeah. She did this movie in 76 called Snuff, which was like the first American attempt at the Mondo Kane movies. Well, not, nah, but you know, like the, the first American attempt at the super bloody ones. It's supposed to be about people making uh, a snuff film. And in the end, there's like, you see like the crew of the the movie kill the actress of the movie. And it's like the big famous scene in the movie is, you know, it was, it was supposedly like, like real footage of them killing this actress. And then it became one of the video nasties because of that, because everybody, they, they kept marketing it as, oh, we were going to make this movie. And then we just killed the lead actress and filmed it. Right. So you could scope that out. But it's, <laughs> Finlay was not a good director. So it's just horrendously done and it's completely unbelievable. Right. And when you hold it against the Italian ones, which are totally morally reprehensible, but are like beautifully done hoaxes, you have so much more, if not respect, appreciation for the, the effort that went into the Italian ones when you see the, uh, the even more famous shoddy American porn director attempt. Mm. So if you're interested at all in the history of this kind of violence on film, snuff is very much like a a ground zero moment. And then the other one is, it's called Sandman, but the and is an ampersand, so it makes it S-N-M man. <laughs> and it, it's a mockumentary. That's kind of clever, actually. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a mockumentary. Um, I shouldn't have told you it was a mockumentary. I should have just said a documentary. <laughs> it's a documentary um, following like four super low budget horror movie filmmakers. And the interesting thing about it is like three of them are real and like two of them, I've seen stuff from before, you know, like if you're at all plugged into the horror scene, you're like aware of them. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is fake. And the other one within the documentary, they say, is like really making snuff films. Mm. So it's kind of cool. Uh, That's kind of a cool premise. Yeah. I, I think if you don't know the state of horror, you might not get a lot out of it because it's really playing to that audience. But it, it, it plays with fact and fiction a lot in a really interesting way. Mm. That's pretty good. All right, that's two uh, two good picks. Well, one good pick. Well, one good pick historically, and yeah. one good pick as far as enjoymently. Yeah, <laughs> enjoymently. That's the word of the day, folks. All right, thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>